have a need right now that you're facing, something that is, is challenging, and you really just need people to stand with you in prayer, thank you, dear. You're lovely. Um, would you please just stand up? If you have a need that you're facing, um, I'm not going to even go into all the needs that could possibly exist. I will say this, that later today, Judy and I will be uh, conducting a ceremony for uh, a wedding ceremony for a gal that we just baptized uh, on Friday, and um, she's uh, dying of cancer. And so um, maybe you just remember us and remember her in prayer today. She and her. If you if you have a need right now and and you're facing something, you don't want to face it alone. You want your brothers and sisters to believe with you. Just stand up online as well. In fact. Um, Sometimes it just takes a little bit of courage and like maybe even if you're just watching as a family right now, someone might need to just stand up in the family room and, and that might seem embarrassing, but the idea is not to embarrass you. Let's just stand up and, uh, and just say, Lord, this is me. I'm the one who needs your touch right now. So, Father, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which contains in it everything that we need for life and for godliness it, it breaks every chain it breaks every curse it breaks every uh, improper yoke it breaks all bondages it heals and it creates new tissue and new life some of you need new tissue uh, in your body the lord needs to restore tissue tissue that has been damaged just needs to be healed the Lord, the one who brings newness of life through the power of his resurrection and through the, the, the fellowship together we have with him in his sufferings as we identify with Christ and we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then that authority is released on us. So, Father, I believe that there is authority here to break financial yokes and burdens and bondages that have held people down and ground them into the dust and made them feel less than human, less than, than uh, divine, less than having divine favor shown upon them, reflected upon them. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you lift them up for those whose bodies are broken and need a healing. In Jesus' name, be healed. The Lord heal you right now. Those relationships that would take a miracle. God, you're our miracle. We ask for the miracle of Jesus Christ to be extended to us right now. Someone who needs a job. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you grant not just employment, but a career and life and purpose, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing right now. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we link our hearts with you as we pray together in agreement we believe Lord Jesus that you're going to begin to extend your hand and begin to affect immediately and uh, by divine direct attention you're going to in, uh, begin to interfere in our situations and our lives so father we thank you and we praise you in advance for what you're about to do hallelujah Praise your name, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's all stand together and let's just take a moment to thank the Lord for what he's doing. And by the way, you can give us your testimonies or send them in. Let us know. It helps us 
to know that we're being effective in ministry, if you give us feedback. So, Father, we just worship you. We praise you. We magnify you. We glorify you, Lord Jesus. There, Lord, there, there is nothing without you. There, Lord, uh, we're, we're not here to do a show. We're not here, Lord Jesus, to do a duty. We're not here because we have to do this on Sunday. We're here because we expect to meet with you. We're here because we expect that we're two or three gathered together in your name. There you are in the midst of us. And in you hear us and you heal us and you strengthen us and you deliver us again and again and again. So great is your salvation. So great is this gospel. So great is this good news. Hallelujah. Father, I believe that someone needs Jesus as their Savior right now. And I just speak a word of life, accept the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I feel that in my spirit, there's someone and you've been resisting. He's been pulling, he's been drawing, and you know it and you're miserable. And you know that your life needs him, but you're just ashamed, you're afraid, or you're disheartened or discouraged. I say in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, open wide your heart. He opened wide his heart for you. Open your heart and receive him today. He'll save you. Hallelujah. Praise your name. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wonderful, wonderful the Lord is to us, and I just thank the Lord for his grace and his mercy and his kindness. I, would, I do want to share from Matthew's gospel in just a moment, but... Um, I want to start with uh, just a little uh, story that um, comes to my mind. My mom will remember this. We, uh, we were making ice cream, homemade ice cream. Anyone ever eat homemade ice cream? Anyone could eat it right now, right? With bananas and hot fudge, crushed cherries, a little bit of peanuts if you're not allergic. What a wonderful way to enjoy a Sunday is to make a Sunday. What a wonderful way to experience life in Jesus with homemade ice cream. We were making homemade ice cream. And you know that um, as, as the canister churns around and around and around, it's important for the bucket that you... Uh, contain everything in the ice and water and things like that uh, it's important for that ice to be packed around the container as it turns through and that begins to make um, the ice cream hard makes it solid and turns it from a liquid into a solid right you know as it's turning around and around if you put ice in there you keep packing ice in one trick that um, some people uh, my dad was one of them, you know, often suggests is you put a little bit of rock salt in there, you put it around the edge on the, on the ice, and you let that just begin to melt the ice, and as it begins to melt the ice, it actually lowers the temp. as the ice is melting, it lowers the temperature, which increases the freezing effect, okay, and all is well, but you do have to remember that as everything is melting, there is some draining and some uh, runoff, and so there's a, a little drain hole on it, and you have to keep that hole 
uh, unplugged so that when the water level comes up, it rinses out the drain hole and everything is good. What we didn't know is the little drain hole was plugged and uh, the water level came up. And what we didn't know is that it, it seeped into the ice cream, you know. And uh, so um, when we opened our ice cream, we're all set for it. We're going we're gonna to have some good ice cream. And we uh, take a spoonful of that and taste it. And it is completely like salted like you're maybe salting your sidewalk, you know, that kind of salting. And you just had a spoonful of ice cream with salt in it. And that, um, that flavor will leave a lasting taste in your mouth. It'll make you thirsty. It'll make you um, wish you never had tasted that ice cream. And there's so very little opportunity for us to get Jesus's metaphor of salt and light. We probably a little more sensitive to the issue of light because we're going through a lighting project here. Um, and, and things will begin changing even more as the, the days and weeks unfold. But as we go through that, we're sensitive to the need for light. But when Jesus spoke to this group of people, and th this is what is important to me, is that I, wanted to, I want to understand how Jesus' original audience, how would they hear it? How would they hear the message that I'm about to read? I'm going to go to Matthew 5, 13 and read through verse 20. It is a continued thought, even though there's a couple of bumps in the road. In Matthew 5, 13, uh, it says, I'm sorry, in, my, in Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 13, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people, actually a multitude of people. Think about, let's say that we took in the region and area of Galilee where Jesus is at, you could take the combined uh, uh, population of um, Warmlysburg and Lemoyne, put that combined combination of numbers together, and there would be somewhere between nine, six to nine to ten thousand people possible from the region of Galilee in the fields and the little villages. Gather them all together in a much larger expanse. So it's not densely populated, but there's not just two or three people there. So a multitude has gathered, and Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless or unsalty or saltless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. So you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I think when you're coming across Market Street from Harrisburg, Harrisburg side, driving across Market Street, you look up on top of the hill where the big uh, uh, um, uh, marquee, not marquee, the uh, billboard is there, and you look above that, you see the houses on top of the hill. You can't miss them. Like when you're driving up through Negley Park and around there, you can miss these houses. But coming from Harrisburg, coming across the bridge, you look up and you see these beautiful homes up on top of the hill. And think of that when Jesus says, um, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill 
cannot be hidden. It's not that it's impossible to do. It shouldn't be done. And verse 15 says, Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You wouldn't light a light to put out light and then, and then put a basket over it because that defeats the purpose. And then he says in verse 16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. There's a subject we talked about in the Romans class. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. We'll paint you a picture in just a moment. All right, all right, all right. In verse number 18... For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. That's the two realms. There are two realms that Jesus mentioned. He mentioned you're the salt of the earth, which means that if there's an earth, there's a heaven. There's two realms. There is God's house and his home, and then there's our house and our home. So the heaven is one realm, the spirit realm, and then this realm that we live and work in, in is on earth, and it's, it's where we live. And by the way, you need a body to live on this earth. Uh, that's why when Jesus was resurrected, it was important for him to have a physical body, which kind of tells me something about the future. I don't think no matter what we might think that God's going to ever be done with the earth. I think he's going to remake it. I think it's going to be refashioned. And I think that we're coming back to the earth because you wouldn't need a body. If you're a spirit, you don't need a body unless you're going to live on the earth. But that's another thing. So anyway, the point is this. There's two realms. There's heaven, there's earth. And he says, and he just combines the two right there. He says, let me just say this to you. For truly I say, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the stroke shall pass from the law until all it's accomplished. All is accomplished. So, uh, uh, so I, I'm, I know that it's kind of hypothetical, but he says a phrase that everybody would have been used to in Jesus' day. They'll say something like, you know, you know like it, it would take, you know, moving heaven and earth to accomplish that or whatever, you know. So it's a phrase that they're used to. He says, I tell you until heaven and earth pass away. He's not actually prophesying that they will. He's just saying and until they do, not one of the smallest little letters in the law. Uh, he's thinking of Moses because there is nothing else yet. He's going to tell us about what he would call the law of Christ. But, but for this point, they only have the law of Moses. Until heaven and earth pass away, not even the smallest stroke or smallest letter or stroke of a pen uh, is going to pass away until all is accomplished. Let me just tell you, Jesus is going to finish what he started. He's going to finish what he started. The earth is not going to fizzle out. The human race is not going to fizzle out. The church is not going to fizzle out. Jesus Christ is not going to be in his lordship somehow, some way, fizzling out. He's going to continue to be Lord, and he's going to finish what he started. You're supposed to get really happy at that point. Yeah. 
I do need cue cards. You know, like in the old days of TV, you know, I had applause and things like that, you know. Okay, well, this is where I hold up the card that says, you can be happy now, all right? Uh, Jesus will continue to be Lord, and what he started, he'll finish. And um, we should keep celebrating that. And you've done that very well today. Thank you. I commend you on your worship. Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. Truly I say, till heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we hear this, we think and we filter it through the grace of God and the, the life and the death of Jesus Christ. We think of his death and his resurrection, so we read that. And there's something about the Christian human heart that has been inoculated by the gospel so much of the time that we hear that we say, well, you know, uh, Jesus actually fulfilled the law, and, there, and because he fulfilled the law, we, 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 we really don't have to worry about the law. We don't have to, you know, keep those commandments. We don't have to do those things because Jesus has actually brought a whole new covenant and a whole new commandment to us. And I would say that's only partially true. What Jesus is actually saying and what they would have heard with their Galilean ears, they would have heard Jesus saying, don't think that you can ignore the word of God and prosper. Don't think that you can let even the smallest part of it go and dismiss it and think that, that life is going to be okay because Jesus is telling them that God is still God and that he is still good, and he is still involved on the planet, and he's coming back. He's sent Jesus to die for sin, yes, and to create a new covenant that thankfully involves the Gentiles, but he's talking to Jews. He's saying to them right now, I just want you to know that God's word will be fully filled. It will be fulfilled. Everything God said, he will do. I just feel like I need to emphasize that right now because I know that what you're doing is like I'm doing and everybody else. You're hearing news. You're seeing media. You're being bombarded by this thought and that thought and that doctor and this doctor and that, uh, that vaccine and this vaccine and, and that uh, uh, suggestion and, and that ridicule. You're hearing all the stuff like I am and you're filtering it all and you're saying, oh, God, we're in such a mess here. Can you do something? And the Lord says, let me do something. Let me tell you something. God is still God. That's, that's your answer. God is still God. And he's still good. And his word is still true. And you need to accept that. Hmm. Two realms, heaven and earth. There are two peoples. He mentions them directly and indirectly. So he says, you are the salt of the earth. That's the realm we live in. And you're the light of 
to the world. So the world would be what? It's the peoples of the world. In fact, uh, Paul and others, Jesus included, would actually say that the world, we think of the earth, but he's thinking of a world system. And that world system is anti-God. It's not in favor of God being God. It's not in favor of God's uh, uh, you know, word being true. In fact, on every chance the world gets is going to do something to demean your faith or to belittle your faith and to cause you or me to pull back and say, I, somehow I feel foolish for putting my faith and my trust. Sorry, I spit almost all the way to Joseph. I, I'm so excited this morning to share this with you. Let me just tell you that, that there is a world system Stop blaming media. Stop blaming the politics. Stop blaming everybody and their brothers. Stop blaming people and recognize there is a world system that is against or opposed to God. And Jesus is the light of the world. He came to those sitting in darkness. He came and those who had no understanding, he brought a great light and a great revelation. So those who were in darkness could be saved. Now, those who are saved are people who come out of the world and identify with Jesus. The reason we use the word church is because it comes from that word ecclesia, those called out. Called out of where? Called out of the world system into the kingdom of God. I'm sorry, I'm sweating, so my microphone is sticking to my back. You didn't need to know that, but I'm just telling you why I'm just adjusting it all the time, all right? Sorry about that. But the, thing, the point is this, is that there is a world system that is anti or against God. I'm not going to try to tell you what percentage of the world that it is. I'm just going to tell you that every human being is born into the world. All you have to do to belong to the world is to be born. And all you have to do to come out of the world system is to be born again, <laughs> spiritually this time, from the heaven, not from the earth. And so that's what Jesus would begin to talk to them about. So when those guys were listening, they were hearing good news and bad news. They're hearing it all together. But the main thing was, and the question is, who, who would be you? Who's the you? You are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Who's you? In fact, there's three things I want to mention real quick here. And this is actually a preparation for me sharing. I inserted this week because I felt like I needed to prepare our hearts for when I give pastoral counseling next week. So Judy mentioned uh, that next week I want to share on a transgender concern. This is, this is actually how I want to do it. For those who have been called out of the world, those who belong to Christ, what if you came home and one day your son or your daughter say, I'm, I'm not sure I'm actually a boy. I'm not sure I'm actually a girl. How do we navigate that? How do we show compassion? And instead of having a knee-jerk kind of uh, reactionary, how do we help? How do we extend? And, and, and here's the point, and this... This I have to share right now because if we don't get this step, step um, you know, today, then the ne next week's going to be harder to do, all right? So here's the thing is um, what I do, and many of you do as well and should, is considered pastoral counseling. 
Pastoral counseling is not clinical counseling. It's, it's not licensed counseling. I'm a licensed pastor. I'm a licensed reverend. I'm not a licensed counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. So when you come to me for counseling, what I usually will say is you do have to understand that what I am is a pastoral counselor. So what is my part? What is my role in helping people to be healed? My role is to take you to the scriptures and say, this is what Christians, followers of Jesus, this is what people who love God, who are called by his name, who uh, are following after his ways and are in relationship with him. The people who love God and want to follow Jesus, those people go to the Bible and there they find counsel. Now, I'm not diminishing the, the other counseling. I'm just saying that I counsel from the scriptures. So everything that I tell uh, or teach a person in a time of counseling comes from biblical knowledge, experience, training, etc., etc. And many of you function in the same way. So here's what the Lord shared with me is that I have got to prepare people and you are them. We've got to prepare people because here's the thing is that I am not as a pastor with that training and experience. Um, I am not more than a therapist or psychologist or whatever else. So I'm not going to argue with them. And I'm not more than that. But the Lord said to me, you tell them you're not less than that. You're not less than that. Your part of biblical counseling sometimes is all people really need. In fact, I'm going to say most of the time, it's all that we really need. So I'm not going to negate the sciences. I'm not going to negate anything in health or, or training or teaching or certifications. I celebrate all that. In fact, I would say we need more Christians entering those fields so that we feel more, even more comfortable with you, you know. But I'm not more than them, but I'm not less than them, and neither are you. If you go to the scriptures for counsel, sound counsel, you don't need to be ashamed. What you're doing is you're exercising your faith, all right? So as people who are not in the world, not of the world, people who have come out of the world, you can become a light to the world because you follow biblical counsel. Now, before you cheer, because I know you want to, I know, you're just ready to break out any minute. I can just tell. Before you cheer, I do want to say this. It is not assumed that the church is following biblical counsel all the time. <laughs> the point is this, that we need to return to it and have confidence in it. We need to return to it and have confidence in it. Amen? Just take a moment. You're going to be okay. It's all right. It's all right. Just breathe. Thank you, Jesus. You're in control. We love you. So what is salt? What is light? Who are the you? Let's start with that last one. Who's the you? Who are those people? Well, we have to assume for certain, even if it doesn't say specifically, uh, but... It's, it's highly inferred that at least his 12 disciples were there. We would assume that. By the way, it's, it, uh, this 
Sermon on the Mount comes early in the book of Matthew, but it was not all that early in Jesus' ministry. Just keep that in mind. He had already selected 12 disciples whom he would later call apostles, so it would be important for them to know his teaching, right? If they're going to transfer that on to other people, it's important for them to know what he taught. So he brought them around and he mentored them. He trained them. They lived together for a period of about three years. So, um, so we have to assume that at least they were there. Then there was also a group of people, let's say that they're sort of on the fringe, they would probably be skeptics but curious. There would be the skeptic but curious. Uh, <laughs> but curious. So what Jesus actually was focusing all of his attention on is true disciples and would-be disciples. And they're in this multitude of people. This multitude could have been 5,000, could have been 15,000. It could have been a, a pretty good-sized number. But the point is, it wasn't just two or three people. It was not just 12. You know, let's, let's just count the 12, and then there was another dozen or two people. This was a big group of people. How could that happen? It's because he was in their homes, and he was healing their families. He was raising their dead. He was curing their sick. He was casting out demons. He was fixing problems that the world was throwing at them, and he was doing it so successfully. I'm sorry. Here we go again. So successfully that, that the people gathered, and the question is, how do you do this? How is it? How can we? How do we? Where do you fit Jesus? Where? What do we do with you? This is not synagogue. This is not the temple. This is out in the field. This is a group of people, and they're basically saying, Jesus, we don't understand you, but for some reason we're drawn to you. There's something about you, Jesus, that feels like when you, when you begin to talk, something comes alive inside of us. And, and, and we are really, by the rest of the world's standards, that would be the soldiers, the Romans, the, the politicians, and the elite. And there was a lot of that. This is the ordinary people. Let me say it this way. These people would be considered deplorable. They were deplorable people. They were not educated. They were very poor, hardworking sh shepherds, uh, farmers. Uh, shepherds were the worst of the lot. There, there were craftsmen, you know, blue-collar workers. They were the ordinary people gathered because Jesus was somehow giving them hope. And they were believing that somehow that John the Baptist, what he said about Jesus, m means that Jesus is going to do something very special. And so when, he, when they invited him into their homes, when they invited him into their village, oh, Warmlysburg, just invite Jesus in. When they invited him into their homes and their villages, Jesus began changing the atmosphere and began healing and restoring people. And the lowly deplorables applauded him. And Jesus looks at them and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. And you know, their jaws drop down and they're like, I'm not sure, but it sounds like that he just gave us the kingdom of God. And Jesus goes down through and he starts enumerating things. These are the things that I'm looking for in a heart that is turned 
towards God. These are the things that I'm looking for. I'm looking for meekness. I'm looking for those who are pure in spirit. I'm looking for peacemakers. And he goes through the whole list, and he tells you what the outcome will be if you become those kind of people. And they're sitting like on the edge of their grass or whatever they're sitting on. They're sitting on the edge of their seat, and they're hearing and taking all of this in. And there's, it's, it's like worship, you know, when you come kind of dragging in, and it's like, hey, Judy's there taking my temperature, and is there any coffee? Will there be enough coffee for me? And you find your seat, and the lights are too bright, and all that sort of thing. And you finally navigate, and you come, and you find your place. And then uh, Stephanie comes up and says, let me just tell you, it's good to be here. And everybody's like... Yeah, we've been here, you know, whatever. But, you know, you start there in the flesh in worship, but before we're done singing, Gary and the the Holy Spirit has us on our tiptoes rejoicing and worshiping Jesus Christ. That same thing happened to that crowd that day. They were on the edge of their seat, and he begins to even put in the fine print. Like, if you're going to go this way, people are going to reject you. People are going to persecute you. People are not going to like you. You're going to think this. I'm supposed to be lovable, and and some reason people would reject love, you know. So he just warns them of all of that. And then he says, you are the soul. The deplorables, the ordinary, the common, the rednecks, the bikers, the prostitutes, tax collectors, people who the rest of the world wrote off. And here Jesus is giving them the keys to the kingdom. And he's saying, here's what I'm going to do, folks, is I'm going to use you. And you will be the salt of the earth. You know, they heard that with such impact. And the question is like, what does that mean? And what's our role? What's our function? So let's talk about what is salt. Before that, maybe you should start with what is light. Light is easier to identify because, you know, and I want you to hear it again the way they would hear it And unless you really kind of delve into it, you know, like our translators do the best they can, but they're translating Hebrew metaphors into Greek text that has now been translated into an English language. And so the metaphor loses its power, its punch. But when he says, you're the light of the world, yes, light brings purity. Yes, light is devoid of darkness. As God is light, there's no darkness in him at all, you know. But what is light to a Galilean in the first century? Light to them is revelation. It's it's a revelation from God to the earth. This is something that they could not know unless God had revealed it. Like when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood did not reveal... What happened there is that uh, Peter had just had a flash of light. A revelation came into him. Wisdom from above. Not just, you know, when, when John talks about God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. 
he's actually going after a different subject. So I don't want to confuse that. I do just want to remind you that light would be revelation to them. In John uh, chapter 5, Jesus is quoted as saying of John the Baptist that he was a lamp that was burning and was shining and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. That's the way they would hear it. So they, when he says, you are light, he, he, he's actually drawing them to a place of understanding that they are going to receive revelation. And with that revelation, then they're going to share that revelation. And that revelation can be replicated over and over and over again. The words of the apostles, the words of the prophets, all of that would be in alignment with this revelation that God would give them. And then, as I had mentioned on other occasions, what was happening is Jesus was taking them from a Moses-centered world into a Christ, a Jesus Christ-centered view of the world. He was bringing a new revelation, an additional when God was doing what he said he was doing. He was sending the son of David. He was bringing the Messiah that they had longed for and prayed for and hoped for. Jesus said to them on another occasion, while I'm in this world, I'm the light of the world. While I'm here, I'm the light of the world. And Jesus now is turning to the deplorables and he's saying that they are the light. They are the light of the world. Who in the world would choose that ragtag, rag-a-muffin group of people who in their right mind would choose them for a spiritual revolution? None other than God. Because God's looking for something that we're not often looking for. We're always attracted by the, 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 uh, the person who's the celebrity, the person who looks good in video, the person who sounds well, the person who presents well, the person that everybody else is attracted to because of their outer appearance. But God is looking on the heart of man. He's looking for something that is a reflection of his original light. When he said, let there be light, he's looking for the original light that he's shown into this world in the hearts of many people. They could be celebrities. Sometimes they are. But Jesus said it this way, that rich men have a hard time entering into the kingdom of God. Why? Because all their trust is in their celebrity, in their riches, in their position of power that money and wealth and fame and fortune brings them. Amen. Amen. And Jesus is saying, I'm looking for people who will look away from that and not, and not be distracted by it and look right in my eyes and not take your eyes off of me like Peter walking on the water. Keep your eyes on me. Don't look to the left or the right. Not saying don't, you know, it's not ignoring. It's just don't look to the left or the right. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. That's what he's looking for. So what is light? Light is revelation. What is salt? I know that it preserves. I know that it's really bad in ice cream. I'm telling you, it's just really bad in ice cream. I know that it's a preservative. I do know they used it for preservative. I know that they used it for money, so it was expensive. And I do know that it was used for seasoning. But the problem is with the wording that is in here, he says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, 
Now that's, that word is the one that's giving me trouble because if you, if you take that word, the, uh, mar- uh, the, the Greek word uh, from the Greek manuscript would say moreno. That moreno is a Greek word, and that word means to lose wisdom. So the rabbis would talk to people, and they would teach in the synagogues, and they would say, you need to have the salt of wisdom. You need, you need to get the salt of wisdom and hold on to it because the salt of wisdom, and then we take them to the book of Proverbs and read the Proverbs to them and stuff, you know, or this teaching from the sages, they would take that and share it with them. So they're always looking for the salt of wisdom, always looking for the salt of wisdom. So Jesus says, now listen, you're the salt of the earth, but I got to tell you something, if the salt loses its salt, if it becomes uh, uh, something that has lost its wisdom, then it's nothing. You, you may as well pave your parking lot with it. You might as well put it, well, I'm telling you that you're just one more voice among the crowd. Let me tell you, church, the way to stand out in the world today is not by following it. It's not by uh, compromising with it. It's not by uh, embracing the world system. It's not by capitulating to the world. The way to stand out in the world is to stand up for Jesus and his word. When you stand for him and his word, then, then you will have the salt of wisdom to share. We're going to literally need a towel down here. I'm sorry. The salt, if it loses its wisdom. The light, if it loses its revelation. I love this in Colossians verse number 5 of chapter 4. Paul says, please conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Let me read that verse 6 for you one more time. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. On Wednesday nights in Romans, right now, we're in chapter 13, and it starts out with the unthinkable. Let every soul be submitted to the authorities. Let every soul be submitted to those governing bodies. And it's just not an easy thing for us to think about right now. And I reminded people on Wednesday night that uh, Israel had this problem. You know, if God raises up one and he puts down another, one of the things that he did is he raised up the Assyrians. He raised up the Babylonians. And he used those people to judge Israel. And Israel's like, they're pagans. They're idol worshipers. How could you raise up ungodly people to judge us? And the answer is that God is not trying to deal with the Assyrians. He's not trying to deal with the Babylonians. He's trying to deal with his people. God's not trying to change your government right now. He's trying to change our hearts. God wants us to have a relationship with authority 
in general, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. So there's got to be a way to navigate those waters. How do you show honor towards all authority and yet stand up and, and resist it at times? That's what we're working on on Wednesday nights if you want to join that class. I mean, uh, but um, you, you might, you, you might, um, you, well, you might hear someone speaking in tongues. I'm just not sure. I mean, you know, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of venting that needs to happen right now. There's a lot of anger that needs dissipated right now. There's a lot of revelation that the church needs to return to. My concern, brothers and sisters, probably more than anything right now, is what if the salt has lost its salt? What if the light has lost its light? How do you get it back? How do you get it back? The way to get it back is the way you got it in the first place. It was by returning to Jesus. We got our light from Jesus in the first place. We got our light in the first place. We got our light in the first place from hearing his word. Holding fast to the word of Christ. Holding on to it. In Hebrews 6, he says, it's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they crucify the Son of God all over again, and subjecting him to public disgrace. Unfortunately, when we read that scripture, all we get stuck on is, can a man lose his salvation? I don't want to know. I don't want to know the answer to that. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in that place. I want to be the one that stays awake and alert towards Jesus Christ. I don't want to shame him. I don't want to embarrass him. I don't want to carry a false word. I don't want to carry my ideas. I don't want to carry my opinions. I don't want to carry my thoughts, how wonderful and lofty, whatever they might be. I want to carry his word. I want to carry his light because it is his word that will change this world. It is his light that will awaken men and women. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's not the media. It's not the government. It's not the politicians. It's the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ has got to return with full devotion to Jesus Christ and say, I'm all in. So that when I counsel you from God's word, I say to you, you, you know, I see that you're struggling with this right now. Do you know that the Bible says X, Y, and Z? And you'll say, yes, I know. And I'll say, well, how are you relating to X, Y, and Z? And you say, well, actually, to be honest with you, I don't give it any thought. And I'm going to tell you, you need to think. You need to think about it. You need to consider the word of God. No, you need to embrace the word. You don't even need to understand it. Just obey it. You don't have to like it. You don't have to love it. You, the longer you go, the more you like it, the more you love it, and the more you embrace it, the more you see its beauty, and the more you see its wonder. Would you please stand up with me? I just want to tell you something. The beauty and the, 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 the glory of Jesus Christ is being muddied 
It's being muddied by all of our thoughts and our opinions and our hurts and our wounds. It would be better for us to close our mouth and stop speaking and say, Jesus, I have no idea how to think. I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to do. I just know this. I need you more than I've ever needed you before. I need your love. I need your grace. I need you. Grace for grace. It's not quite all I have, but it's about all I'm going to be able to do. I'm going to actually call Annie if you would come and take the microphone. I'm going to get you to have you be ready to just uh, do a um, an altar uh, appeal right here. Just we just need to return to Jesus and His Word. Amen. This will be okay in a minute, but we are not okay for the rest of our lives. We've got to be changed. We've got to be transformed. Amen. Thank you. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence. Come, Lord. Come, Lord, and rest upon your people right now. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for thinking that we could do anything without you. There is not one single thing, not one single breath, not a blink of the eye, nothing that we could do without you. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for thinking that we can be sure of this afternoon that we could be sure of the next second. That we could be sure of our job. That we could be sure of anything other than you. Because there's nothing in this whole wide world that we have, nothing that we can count on in this world except for you. So I pray that the conviction of your Holy Spirit would come. I pray that the fear of the Lord would come and rest upon us, everyone who is within hearing distance. Oh God, would you please forgive us? Forgive us for thinking more of ourselves than we ought. Forgive us for thinking that because we're at church or because we're listening to church or because we sang some worship songs or said a prayer that that makes everything all better. Would you come and, and open up our hearts as only you can to show us how self-indulgent and how self-absorbed we really are and how many times we pick up, I pick up my phone and look at something else rather than use that time for you. Forgive us for missing opportunities to share your love with others, God. Lord, would you please bring us back to a place of 
dependency upon you, no matter what that means. And that's a scary prayer. But if we're not wholly dependent on you, Lord, perhaps we could grow deceived in thinking that we can be self-sufficient. Lord, never let us forget how much we need a Savior. And then take us past that place of needing a Savior to giving ourselves wholly to you, to be our Lord, the one who calls the shots in our lives, the one who says, I want you to do it this way, not that way. The one who says, I didn't like that. You need to go back and and you need to make it right. Holy Spirit, for you. We want to know what that means, and we don't know what that means, not the way you want us to. Lord, you are so passionate, and you are so brilliant, and you are so extreme. God, make us passionate and brilliant and extreme like you are. Lord, make us like you are. Lord, Don't let us be lukewarm. Don't cast us out of your mouth. Lord, come in your your, your overwhelming power, your overwhelming passion. Consume us, oh God. We pray that you would consume us so that we're not like this in church, but we're like this every second. And Lord, would you please just get it through our head that you are not nearly as concerned with what we act like even in church as how we act when we're out there. When people see us and we are the only word that they may ever come across, the only Bible that some people ever read, truly that is really the the way that it works sometimes, that, that maybe they would never ever see anything close to a Bible again, but they might see the way we act the way we treated them, the way we looked at them with compassion. Lord, we are so desperate for you to move. We're so desperate for you to do something. And if we're not, I pray, God, right now, make us desperate for you. Make us not, make us stop, get rid of the apathy, get rid of the complacency, get rid of the the we're okay mentality. We are not okay unless we are burning vessels for you. We are not okay unless we are passionately in love with you. Lord, help us see. Give us a comparison. Bring people into our lives that would make us jealous when we see the way they love you, when we see the way that they talk about you, when we see the way that they are compelled towards you. Lord, people people that would help us see how just dull we've become. And Lord, I I pray that even though I'm not for comparisons, I pray that, that you would show us and create a jealousy inside of us that would say, I want to be like that. I want to love him like that. I want to know him like that. I want to crave him like that. Oh God, we pray for this entire city of Harrisburg to come to a saving knowledge and grace a a place of of truly knowing you. Lord, we don't want to be people that say, well, my family is saved. We're doing fine. 
Lord, open up those borders. Open up our desire. Open up our eyes. Open up our hearts and give us the compassion to see more than just our own little families doing well. But we want to see our neighborhoods, our neighbors, our neighborhoods, our areas, our communities, our state, the United States. Lord, we want to see a turning back, a revival occur not just a revival and not just a renewal, but and, and a complete overturn of everything that we, we've never seen it before. And I, I've never seen it, Lord. I've never seen bars closed down because the love of Jesus was so great. I've never seen hospitals closed down because the healing power of Jesus was so great. I've never seen, I've never seen this, Lord, but I've heard about it. And I want to see it. And I want to experience it. And I want my kids to know about it. My grandkids to know about it. I want my friends' kids to know about it. I want, I want everybody to know that you can do this and that you would do this if we just give you enough room. Oh, God, would you please use me? Please use me and please use my friends. Please, Lord. Please, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that things would be different than they've ever been before and that it would start right here, right here in our hearts, right here in our minds, with my life, with their lives, with our lives, with our hearts, God, we just turn back to you and we ask you to have your way and we ask you to do it, do it, Lord, do what you want to do, anything you want to do, anything you want to do, we trust you. And we ask for this in your holy son, Jesus' name. Amen.